This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 14, we read, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, have been all made to drink into one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. In Ephesians 1, and 23, we read, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Well, there are some who say that the church is a worldwide organization of which every denomination is a part. In that mindset, if you draw a pie or a circle there and you divide it up into several different squares or several different triangles there, pieces of the pie, whatever you want to say, they say that the Church of Christ is included with the Presbyterian Church, Baptist Church, Methodist Church, Mormons, Lutherans, Catholics, Church of God, on and on and on you can go. That each denomination is part of the Church of Christ. Others proclaim that the church is a single institution of which denominationalism has made a mockery. In that mindset, whenever you draw your pie and the various slices of the pie, you have congregations like Smyrna, Sardis, Philadelphia, Rome, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, those today, and that the Church of Christ is made up of various congregations of one church. So each congregation, then going back to what we read earlier, has its feet and its hands and its ears and its eyes, etc. So are there many churches that make up the one church, or is there one church that is distinct from the many? Well, what is the truth then about the church. Well, the true church follows only the word of God. You know, you have various denominations following men's writings like the standard manual for Baptist churches or the book of discipline of the Methodist church or the book of Mormon. But if you have the Bible alone, then you have only a Christian. But if you have the Bible plus a writing of man, then you have a hyphenated in italics Christian. So the true church follows only Christ's word that was spoken by him and through the inspired men that wrote his word down. In John twelve forty eight. Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. In other words, Jesus is telling us there that it is his words 
that will judge us on the last day, not the words of men. In John 16, 13, and 14, John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, that being the Holy Spirit, is come, he will guide you into all truth. And again, Jesus is here speaking to his apostles. They would be guided into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So the apostles and the inspired men who wrote down the words here of the New Testament are the words of the Holy Spirit himself, which come from Jesus himself as well. Over in Hebrews chapter 1, look at verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It said, God, who at sundry times and in diverse matters spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And then in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, the writer says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. So the true church follows only the words of Christ and those inspired men who wrote his words down. So the true church then speaks where the Bible is where the Bible speaks and is silent where the Bible is silent. In other words, God is to have the only word when it comes to religion. In 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 11. It says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Whenever we speak, we are to speak as what God spoke to us through his word. So, that just goes down to the fact then that the true church does not add to God's word by the writings of men, nor do we take away from God's word through the writings of men. A warning is given in Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. It says, For I testify unto every one that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So if God does not allow things to be added here to the book of Revelation, 
then we understand that God will not allow us to add to or take away from his word. There in Proverbs chapter 30, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 6, says, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. So again, the true church does not add to the writings of the New Testament with the words of men, neither do we subtract from the writings of the New Testament with the words of men. That is why the true church practices baptism for the remission of sins. Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Jesus said there, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Very plainly spoken. There are those who add to the word of God here by saying, well, Jesus didn't say, but he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. That's adding to the word of God. And whenever you do that, you're cursed. Because Jesus didn't have to say that. The question would be, did Jesus lie when he said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned? Did Jesus tell the truth there, or did he not? Well, absolutely, he did. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You know, you look at the wording there, there are some, again, who will try to add to the Word of God by saying, or change it at least, by saying that the word for there means because of. Well, whenever you look up the word ace, which is the Greek word translated there for for, you find that in Thayer's and in Strong's and in Vine's and in other places, that little word means something like for, unto, into, or toward. It does not mean because of. So someone is changing the word of God whenever they say that it does mean that. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, there Paul writes, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now you stop there for a minute. When we're baptized, we're baptized into his death. Uh, my wife was used to be in the Baptist denomination, and she has her baptismal certificate. And on that certificate, it says, baptized into the fellowship of the Baptist church. It doesn't say baptized into Christ. So again, there is adding to or taking away from the word of God. Verse 4 of Romans 6. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So whenever we are baptized, we contact that blood that Jesus shed. It is the blood of Christ that save us, saves us. It is the water of baptism wherein we contact that saving blood. Also, we do not add to nor take away from the word of God or the true church doesn't. And that is why we forbid mechanical instruments of musical accompaniment while singing religious songs. And that would be whether it would be in a 
church building or in a worship service somewhere or in our own home or in our car or wherever that may be. When you look at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19, it says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Speaking to yourselves, singing to one another there. The types of songs to be used are psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then singing and making the melody where? In your heart. The heart is where the melody comes from. That excludes any external musical instrument because the heart is the instrument that is used in, in singing these praises to God. And in Colossians 3, 16 and 17, Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So there again, we see in the singing that we're to be doing, we are teaching and admonishing one another in these same psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And singing where? With grace in your hearts to the Lord. So right there again, the music of a piano or a guitar or a drum or whatever instrument you want to use, even if you're trying to use your voice, same thing, there is no teaching done. There is no admonishing done. Whenever those things are used in these songs, that makes them wrong. They are sin to use. And then he said, verse 17, everything that we do, we're to do according to the authority of Jesus Christ. Whenever we add the musical, mechanical instrument of music of any kind, then we are adding to the word of God. But also, because we do not add to nor take away from the word of God. That is why the true church only has men as elders and leaders in the church. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. You see, there are those who try to install women as elders, or they try to use women as preachers and things such as that, but that goes totally against what the scripture says. That is adding to the word of God. Because a an elder, bishop, presbyter, whatever you want to call him, is to be the husband of of one wife, and a woman cannot be the husband of one wife. And that is why we have only men, or the true church only has men in places of authority in the church. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. <clears throat> it says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, self stopping there for a minute, there were some will say, well, that's just because Paul hated women. Or that was 
back then. That's, that's not the way it is today. Well, whenever Paul gives the reasoning for what he just said in verses 11 and 12, he doesn't go to culture of his time. He doesn't go to a hatred of women. He goes back to the creation. Verse 13, For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So right there we see Paul here, he's not using his own words. Paul was inspired to do the things he did by the word of Jesus Christ. You know, we looked at over in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, there in verse 11, verses 11 and 12, Paul says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which is preached to me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying here in 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 14, comes from Jesus Christ himself. Well, to go beyond the teachings of Christ is sin, adding to or taking away from them. Second John verses 9 through 11 tells us that. 2 John verses 9 through 11 says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Now you look in the American Standard Version there of Second John, verse 9, the American Standard Version says, Whosoever goeth onward, in other words, you're adding to, you're going beyond the Word of God. Verse 10 of 2 John 9 says, or 2 John, excuse me, says, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bidding God speed. For he that biddeth in God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. So the true church does not add to nor take away from the word of God. We just do what the word of God says. But the true church also obeys Christ's commands. The true church rejects the teachings of men because following the teachings of men is vain. Matthew 5 or excuse me, Matthew 15, verses 7 through 9. Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9. Jesus there says, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The commandments of men are those things that go beyond or take away from the Word of God. Also, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, Paul wrote there, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that calls you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now stopping there for a minute. Whenever people add to or take away from the word of God, they are perverting the gospel of Christ. Now verse 8. But though we, <clears throat> or an angel from heaven, 
preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. Because he's adding to, or taking away from, changing the word of God into something that is not true. And, you know, the true church doesn't go by feelings. You, you know, you may have heard people say, well, I feel in my heart that I'm, that I'm doing right, or my God would never condemn me, or whatever. Well, whenever they say that, their God is a God that they have developed in their own image. Well, Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you let me keep my commandments, we don't go by feelings. We go by the commandments of God. In John chapter 14, look at verses 22 to 24. John chapter 14, verses 22 to 24. So Jesus said unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. In other words, he's going to obey me. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the words which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So in other words, if you do not love Christ, you're going to add to his word. You're going to take away from his word. You're going to change his word to make it fit what you want instead of what God requires. In John 15, 14, Jesus said, You're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Again, we don't go by feelings. In Acts chapter 23, verse 1, we see a good reason why we don't go by feelings. Acts 23, 1 says, Paul, or and Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. Paul felt he was right whenever he was persecuting the church, known as Saul of Tarsus. You go over to Acts chapter 26, verses 9 and 10, we find him saying there, I verily thought within myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I did, or also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. Paul said, I felt I was right in my feelings. I was sincere. I knew that I was right. All along, he was wrong. And whenever he learned that he was wrong, instead of getting angry or whatever, he changed. He realized what he needed to do and changed. Well, the true church consists of those added to it by the Lord. Acts 2.47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as we should be saved. We don't join anything. The Lord adds us to his church. Now, Christ adds obedient people to his or the church. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. 
Matthew 16, 18, and I want to read the American Standard Version rendering of this verse. Jesus said, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So Jesus says there, in two different ways, first of all, I will build my church. That is singular. Not many different churches, but my church. And then he says, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Again, singular. Not many different ones. And then that rock that he would build his church on was the confession that Peter made that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In Romans 16, 16, Romans 16, 16, says, Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now, why do people say join the church or something like that? Well, men don't add people to the church. What I'm going to read to you now comes from the Standard Manual for Baptist Churches on page 22, and I quote, It is most likely that in the apostolic age, when there was but one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, and no differing denominations existed, <clears throat> the baptism of a convert by that very act constituted him a member of the church and at once endowed him with all the rights and privileges of full membership. In that sense, baptism was the door into the church. Now it is different. Now stopping there in that quotation, what changed? What does he mean, now it's different? Let's continue with the quotation. And while the churches are desirous of receiving members, they are wary and cautious they do not receive unworthy persons. The churches therefore have candidates come before them, make their statement, and give their experience, and then their reception is decided by a vote of the members. A vote of the members, unquote. Brethren, we don't vote people into the Lord's church. You may vote people into the Baptist church, but the Lord adds people to his church. And another little book I have in my library is called Baptist Principles, Letters to My Son. This is various questions and answers that were uh, written there from a man by the name of Edgar Estes Folk and he would write questions and answer them in these letters to his son. And this is one that he wrote, quote, While we believe in much water, we do not put much stress on water. In fact, we put less stress on water than any other denomination of Christians except the Quakers. We set less store by baptism than any other denomination. We believe in baptism. We insist upon it as a sacred duty, but we do not believe that it has anything to do with the salvation of a soul. If the person was not saved before baptism, he will not be saved on account of it. Baptism is for saved people and not to save them. Only those who have repented of their sins and have believed on Christ are fit subjects for baptism. 
the blood must come before the water, regeneration before church membership, Christ before the church, unquote. <laughs> so we see in this statement here that he is adding to and taking away from the word of God. You know, whenever you look at a list of the origin of the major denominations, you'll find that the earliest one given is around 606 AD, that being the Roman Catholic Church. And then you see the various ones, the Baptist Church in the 1600s, 1607, the Methodist Church there in the 1500s, and all various ones. All of those various denominations are not the Lord's Church because they came along too late. You know, the Catholic Church is 600 years too late. Baptist Church is 1,600 years too late. Methodist Church, 1,500 years too late. Because the Lord's Church was established back in AD 33. None of these other churches were established then. They have all come because of the writings of men, the doctrines and commandments of men. Well, the true church, then, is the bride of Christ. In the New Testament, the church is represented spiritually being married to Christ. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. <coughs> says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So the church is represented there as spiritually being married to Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Paul says there, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So again, the reference there that the church is the bride of Christ. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 32, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 32, says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, <clears throat> that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So, or in like manner, ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated, ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church." For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ in the church. So again, another reference that the church is the bride of Christ. And there is no man-made religion that is the bride of Christ. Every denomination is the bride of the devil, not the bride of Christ. 
Well, the true church then is that institution for which Christ shed his blood. Christ suffered and died only for his church. In Acts chapter 20, look at verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul here speaking to the Ephesian elders stated, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So Jesus purchased the church with his blood. And here Jesus is called God. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Peter wrote, For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So Christ did not die for any denomination, but he did die for the church that he established. Well, the true church is open to everyone who is willing to believe on Jesus Christ and obey his word. So that is why the true church teaches the gospel. God's power unto salvation, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then look at Acts chapter 16, verses 30 to 34. Acts chapter 16, verses 30 to 34. This is the account here of the Philippian jailer. It says, And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. So right there, many people will stop and say, See there, belief is all you have to do. But that's not all he did. What was he to believe? He didn't know. Verse 32 says, And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. You see, they told him to believe then they told him what to believe. And in that belief, repentance and baptism were taught. We know that from verses 33 and 34. Verse 33 says, And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. That being a show of repentance. And what was it? And was baptized, he and all his straight way. You see, if baptism wasn't necessary for salvation, why do all this in the middle of the night? It was about midnight whenever Paul and Silas were singing those songs, and this great earthquake happened. Why didn't they just wait till it got to be daylight and go do it? It's because baptism is for the remission of sins. And they weren't willing to wait. And notice this, verse 34. And when he had brought them into his house, he sat meat before them and rejoiced 
believing in God with all his house. See, he's told to believe back there in verse 32. He is called a believer after his baptism in verse 34. Christ is the Savior for all those who obey him. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. You see, it didn't just say that believe in him, but obey him. And Jesus is the one who said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Why do we not believe him? The church gives glory to God and not to some man. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 14. John 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. And in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There's glory that is given to Christ there. And in Ephesians chapter 3, look at verses 14 to 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Paul there says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family and earth and heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, <clears throat> that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh be in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. We give glory to God, not some man, not some group or anything like that. The true church gives glory to God. And the true church consists of only those who obey God's plan of salvation. Not any man's plan of salvation. In Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 10, we find that we are saved by God's grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10. <clears throat> it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Well, God's grace, yes. He offered us his grace. He offered us salvation 
through the blood of his son Jesus Christ and obedience to his plan of salvation. And it is his gift to us. But then he says, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then in verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship created unto good works. You see, to the denominational mind, that doesn't fit. Because they try to stop there and say, see, you can't work your way into heaven. You can't do any works. Baptism is a work. Well, faith is a work also. Go to John chapter 6. You'll find that out. But then we're created to do good works. Well, what are we looking at here? Verse 9 would be works that we do that would cause God to give us salvation. That's meritorious works. That can't happen. That's not true. There's nothing we can do to work our way into heaven. But verse 10 says we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Is baptism a good work? Yes, it is. But many other things are good works as well. And you think some of the passages that we look at, first of all, we have to access God's grace, and that's through obedient faith. You say by grace, through faith? Well, you go over to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and it explains that. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom access, or whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we access God's grace through our obedient faith. Well, we also find that we are going to be judged by our works. You'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And what are those things that we have done that are good or bad? They're the deeds we do in this life, the works we do in this life. And then in Revelation chapter 20, Revelation 20, 11, and down through Verse 13, John said, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And were dead. the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. So we're going to be judged by our works. Well, what is God's plan for human salvation? You hear the word. And that's the word of God, not the word of man. Not the Baptist Standard Manual, not the Catholic Catechism, not the Book of Mormon, not the Methodist Discipline, or the, you know, anything else. Just the Word of God. Romans ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We must believe the Word. John eight twenty four. 
Jesus says there, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am, ye shall die in your sins. The little word he there is added by the translators. Jesus is making the claim there of deity. For if you believe not that I am, ye shall die in your sins. You go back to Exodus chapter 3, and that explains what Jesus is saying there. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. So Jesus is saying there, If you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. If you do not believe he's the Son of God, if you do not believe he's part of the Godhead, you will die in your sins. In Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Not just seek him every once in a while, but diligently seek him. But without that faith, we have to have a faith that works. You know, there in several of the verses before and after Hebrews eleven six, Verse 4, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go to a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed. And he went, not knowing where he goeth, or where he was going there, where he went. And then you look down, by faith. Verse 17, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And then by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed the sons of Joseph. I mean, on and on and on you could go. We find in every instance faith that worked, doing those good works. We must also, part of God's plan of our salvation is repentance of sin. Uh, Luke 13, 3, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You know, repentance is a change we have to have a change of heart, a change of life in order to do those things. You know, just an example, in Matthew chapter 3, whenever John the Baptist was baptizing there in the Jordan River, verse 7 says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. In other words, you show in your life that you have changed to follow God. 
We have to have those fruits. We must also confess the deity of Christ. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, that's that little word ace again, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, and then be buried in baptism for the remission of sins. We saw that in Acts 2.38, where Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 22.16, Ananias told Saul of Tarsus there, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So right there in baptism is where sins are washed away, and that is because, as we saw in Romans 6, 3, and 4, that is where we contact the blood of Christ, and that is in baptism. But then, that's not all. You know, we hear about once saved, always saved. Well, we know that's a false doctrine. That's changing the word of God. But too many people, seems like, in the church believe that once baptized, always saved also. And that's not true. Continued faithfulness is required. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, for example, Paul said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in, notice, the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then Revelation 2.10, John wrote there, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, and ye may be, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. You see, in the church, it will last until the end of time. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. It says there, And in the days of these kings, that being the Roman kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, that's the church, which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 to 26. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 26. Paul wrote there, Then cometh the end, when he, that being Jesus, shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, the kingdom being the church. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign, that being Jesus, he's reigning now, Till he hath put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, and death is destroyed in the resurrection. So whenever the last day comes, the resurrection comes, Jesus is going to deliver the church over to the Father. So, what is the truth about the true church? The true church follows only the word of God.
the true church speaks where the Bible speaks, is silent where the Bible is silent, and let God have the only word. The true church obeys Christ's commands. The true church consists of those who were added to it by the Lord. The true church is the bride of Christ. The true church is that institution for which Christ shed his blood. The true church is open to everyone who will believe on Jesus Christ and obey his word. The true church gives glory to God, not some man. The true church consists only of those who obey God's plan of salvation. And the true church will last until the end of time. See, the true church practices conversion the way that God set it forth. We're in the kingdom of darkness in the world. We have faith. We repent. We confess. We are baptized. And when we're baptized, we are translated into the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians chapter 2, into the kingdom of Christ. That is the truth about the church. Well, again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.